Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, I'm excited as we continue part three of Focus. Have y'all been enjoying this series? I know that, that, man, I've been learning so much through this as we've studied it and as I've written these messages. And it's always needed at this point in the year to refocus our lives. We go through summer, everything's chaos. How many of you, your summer was a little chaos? Maybe you had some chaos happen in family. Maybe it worked. Maybe you moved. Maybe your kids were just crazy. And, and then you get back into school, and all of a sudden, you get to send those wonderful children off to a stranger for eight hours a day and say, good luck. They're like, where's his shoes? I'm like, your guess is as good as mine. Take him. <laughs> um, and we begin to order our lives. I don't know about you, but when my kids go back to school, I sit down and I go, okay, hey, what things do I need to make summer? They're not going to bed till midnight and waking up at 10. And, you know, let's get some structure back now that we're back in our year. And let's reorganize and refocus areas of my life that may be laxed in summer. And I believe that today is going to be another one of those messages. I'm so excited. I think today is such a pivotal message um, for, for us as individuals. And I believe that God's going to speak to us on it. The last two weeks... We've had some great ideas of things that steal our focus. Last week we talked about being in our feelings and, and getting tunnel focus on the wrong things and, and how those things can steal our focus and distract us from what God is actually calling us to do. Today I believe that God has given us a great one to focus on. Hey, would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Thank you, God, for every person that's here taking a step towards you. God, we ask that today as we take a step towards you that you would take a step towards us. We ask, God, that we would grow closer to you and closer to people. Pray that you would continue to move, God. Speak to our hearts. Whatever we came in here with this morning, God, we leave it at the door. Jesus, we just want you. We just want you. That's why we're here. That's why we got up this morning. God, we wanted to be with you. I pray that today as we step out that you would meet us. We love you with all of our hearts. Thank you that we get to be a part of building your church. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, small group started last week. If you haven't jumped in a small group, you can go. The link is on all our social media stuff. You can go sign up for small group. Listen, there are so many good small groups out there. I was looking through it the other day, and there's, there's, there's some great ones. There's, um, I think Amy's doing a financial peace one. Listen to me. If I could have taken that class at 19, I'd be a millionaire today, okay? <laughs> How many of you wasted some money 19, 20 years old? That looking back, you go, I could have saved so much money. This is an amazing course that teaches you how to manage your money from a God perspective. If, um, if you're looking for a great small group, I'm, I'm telling you, it would change your life. It changed my life. When I was 22 years old, I went through it in the military, and my church went through it, and it changed the way I looked at money forever. I encourage you to jump into a small group, whether it's that one or going running or showing up to breakfast early. The more that we step close to God's people, the more that we grow. And listen to me, all of us have areas we need to grow in. All of us have things that if you survey your life, you would go, I could get better in this area. I can change and grow in this area. And like I say a lot of times, give me a year. Run the play for a year. And if after a year, if you're in small groups and you're serving on the dream team and it doesn't work, we'll both leave and go find another church together, okay? Because it's impossible to get plugged in and be around God's people and God's purpose and not be changed to look more like God. Amen? That was, good. That was a good time to say amen. Like, you're like, man, that is good. Hey, what, Matthew 6.33 is our theme verse for this. But seek... No, oh, you guys, we're going to have to get better today. I know, y'all. Listen, I drove nine hours from Florida last night to be here with y'all, okay? Let's get excited about church. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, Matthew's telling us if you will order things right, if you will focus on the things that matter, everything else will fall into line. But if you don't have first things first, it doesn't matter how you order your life. It will always seem out of focus and out of order. God's design is that we would seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else that we need, God will make sure that we have. As I was going over today's ideas of things that kill our focus, I had a question. And the question is, what if we were as determined to be who God created us to be as we are to keep up with everybody else? 
What if we were so determined to be who God called you to be? You were so determined to be yourself, so determined to walk in your calling, that you didn't even realize what anyone else did. And I know there's those of you like, I don't really care about what other people do. I just spend seven hours on Instagram every day just seeing what everyone else is doing. I don't know about y'all, but I get sick of Instagram sometimes. I'm like scrolling through it, I'm just like, golly, your life looks so much better than mine. Like, what do you, like how are they always on vacation? How are they all? They have no blemishes. They've got, I mean, this is insane. They, they look amazing. And then you find out they use that like Manscaped ab where they put the abs on the picture, you know. Like I knew you didn't look that good, okay. Uh, but, but so many times we get caught up. In that, hey, what is everyone else doing? What are they doing with their life? What if I could, if I maybe if I had that opportunity, if I had this, that looks amazing. And what ends up happening is we end up getting depressed with our own life because we judge our everyday life versus everybody else's highlight reels. Y'all know Instagram is just a highlight reel, right? Like that's not, that's not, no, like we went to Florida this week on vacation, okay? And everybody goes, man, the pictures, y'all's pictures are so amazing. I'm like, yeah, but you don't see us like drowning the children, not like 95% of the way so they'd smile for the picture. Like, we're just like, smile, you're dead, you're living in the beach. Like, I don't know, just saying random things, you don't even know. Kids are screaming, running away, and then you get one good picture and everyone's like, God, I wish I had that life. I'm like, you have no clue what that life is about, Okay. What if we were as determined to be who God created us to be as we are tempted to keep up with others? You know, the old adage, keeping up with the Joneses. And I think it's easy to say, well, we don't do that. We don't really care about what anyone else does. But the truth is there's something inside of all of us that's tempted to look to the left and to the right. And it steals our focus. It steals our focus. In order for me to be fully me, repeat this after me, in order for me to be fully me, I've got to be fully focused on who God created me to be. In order for me to be fully me, I've got to be fully focused on who God created me to be. You know what that means? That means every time I judge my skill set versus someone else's skill set, I'm taking away from who God created me to be. Because God never intended me to compare myself with them. But we all fall into the comparison trap. Today, I want to teach you how to be content with where God has you. Philippians 4.11. Philippians 4.11, Paul addresses this, and this is what Paul says. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have okay, learned. So this is important. It means you've got to learn how to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this is Paul. We talked about this last week. Paul in prison. Paul did not have an easy life. And what he's saying is, listen, no matter what the craziness of my life has been, I have learned to be content in my situations. Not that it's natural, not that it was easy, not that it just came second nature to him. He had to learn to be content in his situation. So let me tell you this. If Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, had to learn how to be content, how many of you know you and me have to learn how to be content? It's not natural. It is a temptation to the enemy, and it's one of the biggest focus killers that we'll ever cover I'll never forget, I grew up, in, and let me say this, when you grew up in South Louisiana, I didn't struggle with this as much as now that I'm older, I realize people do. Because there's no, like, what are you going to compare? You're like, how many ducks you shot? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, like how many frogs did you kill? Like, those are good frogs. Like, I, we, 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 it's, it's just a different culture. Until I got older, and I got in ministry, and I started, started doing this, and I look over at other guys that were doing this. I'd go, well, man, why'd they get that speaking thing? And why, why didn't, God, they got invited to that camp. Why didn't I get that invited? And you start looking at other people's lives going, well, why them and not me? And I'll never forget having a conversation with my dad one time, and he told me something that I will never forget. He said, Christian, as long as you are asking why them and not you, it will always be them and not you. As long as you are more focused on what they're doing than what you're doing, it will always be them that seems like they're doing something better. Because in order for me to be fully me, I have to be fully focused on who God created me to be. That means I don't measure my strengths against your strengths. Today, two focus killers for you. Number one, comparison. Comparison. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. And I would like to say that I think comparison is also the thief of focus. Because if I'm looking at the lane and the race that you're running in, it means I'm not looking at the lane and the race that I'm running in. And how many of you have ever tried to run 
when you're not looking where you're going. Some of my favorite videos on YouTube are like where they like put people, I don't know why they do this game, but it's an amazing game and I want to try it because I just have this thing in me that's like I feel like I can do that. You guys ever see videos and you're like, I feel like I could do that. I feel like I could eat 72 hot dogs. How could we eat 72 hot dogs? The gallon milk challenge, any gallon milk challenge, people, I can drink, no, you can't drink a gallon of milk in an hour. It's impossible, okay? Well, of course, as soon as you say that, there's somebody out here right now. You're like, that's not impossible. I for sure can do that. In college, I drink a gallon of milk every day. You cannot drink a gallon of milk in an hour, I promise, okay? So when we're kids, now that I look back on it, my parents, I think, just did this to occupy us for an hour. They would be like, you can't drink a gallon of milk in an hour. Me and my buddies would get together at parties. We'd be like, we're going to do the gallon challenge. And you drink, and, man, you get down to just this, like, just so close. And it all, you lose every time. You know how that story ends, okay? You lose every time. I see stuff like that, and I'm just like, I want to try it. And they have these videos of people where they're, like, blindfolded and, like, run in a straight line. And you watch them, and I'm like, I feel like I could do it. But no one can do it, okay? None of us can do it. Because if you're not looking where you're going, your, your, your body, your eyes, your mind, your focus follows what you set your focus on. And if I'm not looking at what I want to end up at, I'm going to end up someplace else. None of these people put the bandana on thinking they were going to end up over here. But they ended up over here because they weren't looking where they wanted to go. How many of you know, in order for you to be fully focused, in order for you to be fully you, you have got to be fully focused on who God created you to be. Not your best friend, not your parents, not your neighbor, not your coworker, not your boss. Who God created you to be. Comparison. I love this statement by Betty Jamie Chung. She wrote an amazing book, Lessons from My Mother. Comparison with myself brings improvement. Comparison with others brings discontent. Comparison with myself brings improvement. It's good to look at yourself and go, hey, I can be better. I can get better in areas. I can grow in areas. I can be a better father. I can be a better husband. I can be a better pastor. I can be a better leader. I can get better in areas. Now, it's good to compare me to me. It's bad when I start comparing my race to someone else's race. All of a sudden, it throws everything off. When I compare myself with myself, it brings improvement. When I compare myself with others, it only leads to discontent. Romans tells us this. I love this. Romans, Paul, who, again, Paul knows this journey more than any of us will ever. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. I love how he talks about this at the beginning because he says, now that we're marked with... So we've, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body. You know what the great thing about a body is? My ear and my hand never compete. Never in the world and ever is my hand like, can you put it closer to the music? I need to hear better. Like, never. Okay. My, my teeth have never had an issue with my ribs. Never. Not like, God, if I just was in the, nearer to his heart, he'd be more dear to me. Like I just, never happened. We are Christ's body. And what happens is when we begin to compare ourselves to other parts of the body, it throws the whole thing into malfunction because you were never meant to compare a body anyways. It was always meant to work together in unison. But oftentimes we will get stuck on comparison. We'll begin to focus on things that other people have that maybe you never had a chance to have. Maybe you didn't have that opportunity. Maybe if you would have been with somebody different. Maybe if you had that marriage that they have. Maybe if... And the truth is, let me tell you this, it is impossible for you to miss out on what God has for you. Think of this. It is impossible for you to miss out on what God has for you. If you are pursuing God, if you are pushing after him, if your focus is set on seek first the things, okay, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will happen, if that is your focus, it is impossible to miss what God has for you. So then we have to reason that if I don't have that thing, it's because God knows I wouldn't be good with that thing. What that person did with that thing is not what I would do with that thing. What that person took that business to is not where I could take that business to. God designed me to specifically be me. When I was on staff at, at the, the last church, I was at Church of the Highlands, huge church, awesome church. And people would always ask me, why don't you just stay here? You can be a campus pastor. You can do, you know, like, you could do anything you'd ever want to do. Why don't you just stay here? And I remember sitting down and having a conversation with myself and realizing I won't be good at that because God didn't create me to do that. 
God created me to be a pioneer. God created me to go someplace and build something. And God created me for that. And so I would be just as miserable doing that as they would be doing this. Because God created me for a certain thing, and if I'm focused on that, I will end up there. As soon as I begin to look at what everyone else is doing, I'll begin to drift, and I'll find myself asking the question a lot of us ask, what am I even doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? I feel like, I, like what am I even here for? That's where we get when we stop being who God created us to be. My hand has never said, what am I here for? I'm like, you are here for one reason, to bring food to my mouth and make my children stop being bad. That's it, okay? That's it. I don't hit them. I don't hit them. Let me say that. I don't hit them. That's not, I meant like, you know, when you just give them the hand and you're like, hey, no, no, not today. No, big hand. You know, you just, no. It's, it's, it, my hand has never been confused about its function, ever, because it's never tried to be anything else. But how many of you know when we begin to compare ourselves to everyone else, we will try and be everything else, and all of a sudden, everything will feel very unnatural. If my left hand tries to act like my right hand, everything feels very unnatural. Everything feels very unnatural when I'm not who God created me to be. And in order for me to be fully me, I have to be fully focused on who God himself created me to be. Comparison has a friend that goes with it. It goes with it everywhere. There's no place the comparison goes that its best friend doesn't follow. It is impossible. His best friend is number two, the focus killer, discontentment. Discontentment. What does that mean? It means a restlessness inside of you. God, if I could just do this more, if I could have that more, if I could be this, if I had that life. I would do. A restlessness inside of who God created you to be. Do you know God created you to be at peace? God created you that when you're functioning correctly, when you're walking in your calling and your purpose, when you're in the relationships you're supposed to be in, when you're pursuing God the way you're supposed there is a natural peace that is in all of us when you go, I am exactly where and who I was created to be. There's a peace there. We start to get restless when we start to stray from that. When we start to go like, man, I, I, so I'll tell you this. I was, uh, all my brothers are singers. Okay, well, three of them were singers. I always wanted to be a singer. Like, I always just wanted, they would be, like, playing guitar, and it's just so much cooler than this. You know, like, it's great if you can, if you're a good public speaker, but, like, when you're in high school, you pull out the guitar. I don't know what it is, women, with you guys, with y'all in guitars. I swear, any guy that pulls out a guitar on the playground, it's just like a chick magnet. Girls are just like, oh, you play the guitar? Would you like to marry me now or later? I'll wait in line. You can marry them first and then me. I'm just like, what is it with the guitar? So you see this happen in high school. I'm like, you know what? I need a guitar. <laughs> I need to figure out how to play guitar. I need to be a musician. I need to grow. And if you search, maybe not the internet. I don't know if it will come up on the internet. The, the depths of my photo drawers, there are some crazy looking pictures when I look at myself trying to be something God never intended me to be. I can play the guitar. I can carry a tune. I can do some of these things. But it's never who God created me to be. And so it always feels awkward, and it was that restlessness in me as a teenager going, what am I, who am I, who did God create me to be? And it's one thing when we wrestle with that as a teenager. It's another thing when we're an adult looking at what everyone else has going, well, if I had that, maybe I'd be happy. And if I did that job, I'd be happy. And if I had that person, I'd be happy. And if I could just get this, I'd be happy. Married people, you remember when all you wanted in the world was just to be married? Do you remember that? All you wanted in the world was to be married. God, one day I'm going to get married. It's going to be awesome. It's just like breakfast in bed every day. Just like <laughs> all the things we all told ourselves, you know, when you're getting married. It's going to be awesome. We're just going to lay on the couch all day long and do like married people stuff and like just go to movies and stuff. And we'll just be like best friends, just like best friends. All of us at some point when you got married said that. This is my best friend. No, no, we're not getting married because we love each other. We're just best friends. We're just best friends. It's best friends. And we realize you should marry your best friend. So all of us have said that until you get married, and all of a sudden you get married. And isn't it funny how about a year into marriage you're like, did I marry the wrong person? I used to be my best friend, but now I hate him. It's like mean girls. Like We were best friends, but now we're not best friends. What happens? We start, we get what we finally thought we wanted, but then we allow ourselves to become discontent because we begin comparing our life with what we thought it would be like what we thought we were going to do, what we thought we could accomplish, what we thought would make us happy. 
until you get it and you realize that contentment isn't something that you get. It isn't a job that you have. It isn't a title you attain. It isn't a relationship that you're in. It is the place when you are at peace with God where he created you to be. When you are fully you, focusing fully on who God created you to be. Thank you. That was good. That was good. Discontentment. Washington Post just came out with a survey, and it said more Americans are unhappy than ever in history before. More Americans than ever before are unhappy with their lives. Now think about that, because we live in the wealthiest country in the world. We live in the great, we have more opportunity. The people that make minimum wage in America are wealthy in other countries. We literally have every opportunity that we could have. How is it that people can still look at their life and go, God, I'm unhappy. I'm miserable. The internet. It really is. It really is because you start to see what other people's lives look like and immediately you go, God, I thought my life was good. I thought my marriage, we we were doing one date night a week and I thought that was awesome, but this couple's doing five date nights a week. How do they do that? Five date nights a week. Yeah, well, they don't have kids, okay? And they have an inheritance from their parents and they can do whatever they want to do. So stop judging your marriage next to their marriage. God never designed us to have happiness because of what we have. So when we compare, we're already missing it because we're going like, oh, if I get enough stuff, then I'll be happy. Then everyone will look at me and then I'll make them miserable. Don't, don't act like I'm the only one that's thought that. You're like, I'm not even doing Instagram anymore. It makes me miserable. And then you're like, no, you know what? I'm doing Instagram because I'm going to make them miserable. Like, I want everyone to see how good my life is. So I'm going to post all my highlights right when their baby's throwing up on them. Yes. It's the comparison trap, and it creates discontentment and unhappiness. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Don't be obsessed with money. What is he saying? He's not really talking about money. He's talking about things of this world. Don't be obsessed with what you can attain, what you can earn, what you can get, what you can possess. Don't be obsessed with money, but live content with what you have, for you always have God's presence. For hasn't he promised you, I will never leave you alone, never, and I will not loosen my grip on your life. So think about this, because he's saying you're discontent because you want money, you want things, you want possessions, you want opportunities. We're so focused with what we can attain, and yet what is God focused on? For hasn't he promised you, I'll give you everything you need? That's not what it says. Hasn't he promised you, hey, you're going to get some bomb opportunities, just hang on. That's not what he said. He was not focused about what we could attain. His focus was, I will never leave you alone. He was looking at relationship. He wants a relationship instead of us being able to attain something. He's going, don't worry about what you can attain. Just get close to me. If you get close to me, I promise there is nothing for your life that you will miss. When I was a kid, I used to be like, I, I, I'm, I'm a romantic. You guys romantics and romantics in here? You know, you, no? All right. All the wives are like, not one, honestly. Not one. You should see the wives. They're like, it's awesome being up here because you see everyone's face at once. I'm like, how many of your husbands romantic and all wives look at their notes? They're like, huh? Oh, you're talking to us? <laughs> I'm romantic. I had like some girlfriends in high school, junior high, that I thought I was going to marry. You know, I was that guy you fall in love and you're like, this is for sure the one. And you're like, you've been together a week. I'm like, I just feel it. Something, something in my gut. And I don't know. I feel it. I just feel it. Two weeks later, not the one. That was God. It wasn't, it wasn't God. I missed it. It was my best friend used to always say, he's like, every girl you date, you're like, this is the one. I'm like, well, she is the one right then. Okay, I don't know what you want me to say. For that season, she was the one. <laughs> and I, I'm a romantic, and I used to always worry I was going to miss the person I was supposed to marry for some reason. I had this weird thing as a kid that, like, the person I'm supposed to marry, I'm just, like, not going to be able to find him or something. And, and I remember my dad sitting me down and looking at me going, Christian, listen to me. You pursue God, and you're in a head-on crash course collision for the person that God has for you. You pursue God, and you are in a head-on crash course collision for what God has for your life. There is nothing God has for you that if you're pursuing God, you're going to just miss and run by. But that was my spouse. No, I missed him. How? That was the job I was supposed to have, God. How did you let me miss that? God's going, you're looking at that, thinking those things. But if you could see what God had for your life, it would be exactly what you would pick for yourself. At the end of your life, you will look back and you will say, God, how you ordered my life was exactly what I would have picked if I could have seen the end to the beginning. You are not going to miss anything that God has for your life. So how do we fix this? 
How do we refocus? How do we get content? How do we not compare in an age where everything is comparison? Everything is comparison. Commercials comparison, Instagram comparison, Facebook comparison. Like, I don't even care anymore. People post stuff, they're like, we're having such a good time. And I just comment on it. I'm like, your time sucks. It doesn't even look good. I don't know. Like, it looks horrible. Tell the truth. The kids are crying. Why are there tears on his face? You know, like, I'm just, <laughs> I don't do that. But I want to. Because I don't even care anymore. It's like, at some point, you got to go, it doesn't matter what race they're running. I'm going to run my race. It doesn't matter what their wife and them look like. I'm going to take care of my wife. It doesn't matter how their kids look obedient. I got to deal with my kids. And so comparing their kids to my kids is crazy because Aranza kids are born with crack in their blood. You guys didn't know that. I have friends that have six kids. They walk in the restaurant. They're like, everyone sit. All the kids sit down. They're like, colors. Everybody colors. They're like, Who, what would you like to order? They're like, Dad, I'll have whatever you'd like me to have. I'm like, golly, that's brilliant. My kids go in. They kick in the front door. You know, just, what's for it dinner? And I'm like, oh, my God, we're at somebody else's house. You can't do that. Shut up, old man. Sit down and do what I want. <laughs> Why are you like this? My kids are different. So I can't compare my kids to your kids. My kids are different. I remember when I was a kid, I was in a really strict Christian school. Really strict. Hands folded on the desk. Walk in a straight line with your hands folded. Raise your hand to ask. Still get paddled at school. Like, like, like a lot. Like I got paddled a lot. <laughs> Very strict, okay? And one time they called my dad and they said, Pastor Jacob, um, listen, Christian's sweet. He's got such a good heart. I don't know if he's really Westminster material. Like, he's a little hyper. Maybe he needs to be somewhere where he get his energy out better and, like, maybe not as structured. And, and my dad, thank God he had the foresight to see what God created me to be said, I know you find this hard to believe, but our goal was never to raise a child that was Westminster Christian Academy standards. Our goal was to raise a child that fulfilled the calling of God on his life. What did he see? He saw the motor I had at seven, God put in me at seven because I was gonna need it at 32. I'm dead serious. He saw, my mom used to look at me and go, all that energy in you, look at me. One day it's gonna serve you really well, but today it's aggravating the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. One day you're going to do something great, but right now I want you to get out of my face. I've got to be content with what my life is because God didn't give me your life. God didn't give you my life. And all of us started different places and ended different places, but it's never about comparing our journey to their journey. It's about focusing on who God created me to be fully so I can walk in the calling that he fully has for my life. Your calling is different than my calling. Don't compare yourself to me. You can do business like I can't do business. You're a mom like she can't be a mom. You're, you, whatever you do, God created you to do it, and no one else could do it like you do it, and you couldn't do what someone else does like they do it. We've got to stop comparing, and the first way that we stop comparing is when we start celebrating. When we start celebrating other people. When I celebrate others, I kill comparison in myself. When I celebrate others, I kill comparison in myself. When I can look and go, God, I'm so glad they got that speaking engagement. That's awesome. That's huge for them. Like, man, that's bomb. When I celebrate others, I kill the thing inside of me that goes, don't you wish you had that? Nope. I'm so glad that God gave that to them because that's what God allotted to them. That's not my portion. My portion will be what it will be. I'm glad that they're walking in their portion. Any Alabama football fans in here? Thank God this is my church. This is my church. I just had to ask before I talk bad about them. Um, I hate Alabama football. Hate them. They've, I've, they've given me more. I've cried as a grown man more times due to Alabama football than y'all could ever possibly imagine. Start of the season, end of the season, three games before we play them, I'm just like, why? We'd have like 73 national championships if it wasn't for Alabama. Hate Alabama. But Alabama is really good at being Alabama. Alabama's a really good football team. Okay, there's a reason that everybody hates them, because they're really good. Nobody, no, nobody hates Louisiana Tech. They're like, oh, whatever. Louisiana Tech. <laughs> Alabama's really good at being Alabama. And Alabama had two phenomenal quarterbacks last year. Phenomenal. Okay, future probably Heisman Trophy winner and another guy who had just won a national championship the year before. Their new quarterback comes in. He takes over the position of the guy that had just won a national championship, gone undefeated or lost one game, okay, and he loses his spot. 
I love so much watching him all year long on the bench. Jalen Hurts, for those of you, I watched him all year long on the bench. Because in my mind, I'm mad if I'm him. If I'm him, I'm like furious. I'm like, yo, I just won you a national championship. We lost one game. And you're going to replace me with some kid that just came in? Like, where's the respect? Put some respect on my name. Are you kidding me? Like, I would be furious. And I watched him sit all year long on the bench, all year long on the bench, all year long on the bench. Until the SEC championship game. How many of you watch SEC championship game? And in the SEC championship game, the kid who replaced him gets hurt right at the end towards the end of the game. Like a quarter left in the game, he gets hurt. And what do they do? They look over to Jalen Hurts, who's been sitting on the bench cheering on to a, hey, go, Greg, you're killing it, man. You're doing awesome. And in a moment, he becomes the hero of the whole story of the season of Alabama. He comes back, leads them back. They're down, leads them back to win. And I just had this amazing moment of he would never have this moment if he wasn't content in the position that God put him in. He would never have. He is being celebrated. They're right. They're going to make a 30 for 30 about him. Now he's starting at Oklahoma and will probably take them into the playoffs. Like, he would never have any of that if when he got replaced, he said, forget this. I'm going, this is stupid. I'm not sitting behind some freshman. Are you kidding me? He learned a lesson that when you celebrate others, you open up the doors for God to promote you. When I celebrate others, I open up the door for God to promote me. Because you know what you want people to be doing when you're promoted? You want them to be cheering you on. Because they don't know how hard you worked for that promotion. And they don't know how long it took you to get that marriage. And they don't know how much you've spent on your kids. And they don't know, they don't know those things. You want them to celebrate you. So let's be people that celebrate others. That we can celebrate other people. There's, a, there's another church in town that's launching today. There's a couple ARC churches, which is the organization we're a part of, that, that are launching. One on the other side of the woodlands. And um, we, we posted something about, on hey, that we're super excited for them that they're launching today. And one of their team members reached out to Alex and said, you have no clue how crazy it is for us to be in a church thing that's not competitive. Like the fact that Christian was like, yo, we're celebrating y'all, praying for you, cheering you on. She was like, it just blew my mind. And I thought, how crazy is it? Why? Why would we ever compare to anyone? God created you to be you. And when I'm tempted to look to the left or to the right, I've got to remind myself, hey, he's promised me he's never going to leave me alone. And if I have him, I have all I need. If I have him, I have all I need. You might find this hard to believe, but me and God versus the world, I'm a win. I promise. Every time. When you walk with God and when your focus is on becoming fully you, you win every time. You win every time. When I stop promoting myself and begin celebrating God, I give, celebrating others, I give God permission to promote me. Think about that. How many people do you know that promote themselves? We get like messages every week on Instagram like, hey, I'm a speaker and I'd love to come in your church. And I'm like, you know, like, well, if you were that good, we'd have heard of you, okay? <laughs> like, that's what I want to say. I feel bad. They're like, I'm a world-renowned recording artist. I'm like, that's weird because I've literally never heard your name. Like, I, when you stop promoting yourself, you allow God to go, hey, you know, Dave, nobody, nobody came and said Dave is the best rock thrower in the world when he was in the pasture. Nobody was like, you got to go get David. He can throw an amazing rock. You should see him. He can take this giant. Rock skills off the chart. No one said that about David. David wasn't out there going, what's up? You guys see this? Pew. Killed a bear, lion, bare hands. What up? What's up? Goliath? Got this. David wasn't. David's doing David. David's tending sheep. David's in the field. David's working going, God, it's just me and you. You know what David was focused on? having a relationship with God. You read the Psalms that David's writing out there and his conversations with God, and God then goes, you're the only person that's a man after, you're a man after my own heart. David was focused on getting close to God, and God found him on the backside of a mountain in a pasture and said, you know what? I can use the skill that you have. I need someone like you. You go over there, and you're going to kill that giant. David didn't promote David. God promoted David. And if God can promote David on the backside of a mountain in the middle of nowhere tending sheep, I promise he's not going to overlook you. I promise he didn't miss your calling. I promise you're not going to walk by what God has planned for your life. When we celebrate others, we give God permission to promote us. 
And then number two, gratitude. How do we refocus? Gratitude. I want to ask you a few questions. When's the last time, just, just honestly, you don't have to answer my line. When's the last time you thank God for what you have? Just in general, when's the last time you sat down and just said, hey, God, thank you so much for everything I have. Thank you that, that, I've got, that I've got legs that work. I've got hands that work. Thank you that I've, I'm healthy. Thank you that I have a roof over my head. God, thank you for whatever it is that I have, whatever my portion is. God, thank you for that. As I'm grateful for what I have, it takes my eyes off of what everyone else has and back to what I have. Man, I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for the secret to counteracting comparison is being really thankful for what you have. So that when you see someone else and you go, man, their marriage looks great. Listen to me, I promise you, I sit with those marriages. They're not what you think they are. It's like a guy once told me, for every beautiful woman that you see, there's some guy that is sick and tired of putting up with her. <laughs> it's not what you think. So what happens is the enemy goes, don't you wish you had that? And let me teach you a trick. Don't argue with the enemy. He's a liar. The Bible says his native tongue is all he can do. He is very smart. Okay, don't argue with the enemy. So when he goes, don't you wish you had that? As soon as you entertain, yeah, that would be nice. I mean, man, yeah, she was my best friend too. I begin to allow the enemy to work on my mind. So the counteraction to comparison of I wish I had that is immediately, God, I'm so thankful for what I have. I'm so thankful for what I have. Don't you wish you had that? Nope, I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for the wife that I have. I'm thankful that she looks at me like I'm six foot four, twisted steel, and sex appeal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thankful for that. Because guess what? That might look good, but she ain't never seen me with no clothes on. <laughs> and none of us look good with no clothes on. I'm thankful that she loves me for me. I'm thankful that she's been with me for a long road. I'm thankful that she's put up with me as long as she has. I'm thankful. And as I begin to tell God how thankful I am for the things that I have, all of a sudden, whatever that is doesn't even seem appealing anymore. It doesn't even seem like something I want to entertain anymore when I remind myself of how thankful I am for what God's given me. Gratitude will keep us from comparison. When's the last time you thank God for what you have? When's the last time you thank people? When's the last time you thanked people? Somebody helped you, you just said, hey, thank you so much. I, really, I feel like sometimes we don't like thanking people because then it's like a I owe you or like, like if I tell them thank you and recognize what they did, then I'm going to have to do something for them and then it's going to be like this weird scorecard that we keep. And like, When's the last time you just looked at someone who did something for you and said, hey, thank you. you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for helping me with this. Gratitude for the people in our lives that God has put around us. A life of gratitude leads to a life of peace. A life of gratitude leads to a life of peace. And the more thankful I am for what I have, the less concerned I am with what you have. The more thankful I am for what I have, the less concerned I am with what you have. How does that work? Listen to me. I know married people, a lot of you married, I know that when you go home, there are arguments that happen. We all are married. We all have arguments. It's normal life, okay? You ever met a couple that said they didn't argue? Immediately, I don't trust them. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> I don't even believe you. <clears throat> or you're not really married, one of the two. Your marriage is a sham or you're a liar. It's one of the two. All of us go through stuff. I am so reminded, and I've built this in. If I can give you one thing that will help you in every area today of your life that you have comparison in, I have built in that as soon as the enemy speaks to me, don't you wish, speaking engagement, opportunity, people, my wife, and don't you look at that, that my immediate reaction is, God, I'm so thankful for where I'm at. I'm so thankful, God, for where I'm at. Because the more thankful I am, the less concerned I become. Don't you wish you had that? God, I can't believe you blessed me with this wife. I can't believe that she loves me. I can't believe how beautiful she is. I can't believe she's had three children and still looks fine. I can't believe, I can't believe. The more I can't believe, I don't even remember what I was tempted with before. I don't remember what the other option was. When I go to places with people, other churches, and they, hey, this is my church, and they, oh, this is a cool church. Oh, man, doesn't that church go, what if you had that church? No, I love my people. I'm thankful for my people. I'm grateful for my place. I love Hophius. I love the hawks, the Hophius hawks. Ah! I love this. Because the more grateful I am for this, the less concerned I am with anything that's going on out there. 
And you know what happens when you become unconcerned with everything happening in the world and become very concerned with Jesus? You begin to become who God created you to be. You begin to become who God created you to be because the distractions aren't there. You're not worried about anyone else. It's why they call stuff a fad, because you see somebody doing it, and then you want to do it, and then somebody else sees you doing it, and then they want to do it, and then they see somebody doing it, and then they want to do it. And it goes all the way down. It's like whoever started wearing fanny packs again. Is this a joke? We're grown men walking around fanny packs. Not we, because I don't do it. I'm just saying, okay? I might wear skinny jeans, but I ain't wearing no fanny pack. Walking around fanny pack. Now my son is like, Dad, I need a fanny pack. I'm like, there are some things you're going to have in life. A fanny pack is not one of them, Okay. I'm like, you can buy your own money with that fanny pack. You can buy a fanny pack with your own money. I'm not buying you a fanny pack. I, it's a fad because you see someone else and it looks good and you want to do it because you think it will look good on you. You ever had that go wrong on you? God, skinny jeans are going to be bomb on six foot four. When, now, let me say this. When skinny jeans came out, there was no skinny jeans. It was women's jeans. If you wanted to wear skinny jeans when I was in high school, you had to buy women's jeans that equated to the same size because skinny wasn't a thing yet. So if there was like boot cut and jinkos. You guys remember jinkos? You could hide children in them. You just say, <laughs> boot cut and jinkos. That was all there was. And if you wanted skinny jeans, which is what all the skateboarding punk rock movement was in, you had to go find women's jeans that equated to your size. And, and I'll never forget my buddy talking me into it when I was 17. Dude, no, you got to try a pair. I'm telling you, it's bomb. You can skate better in them. It's awesome. Chicks dig it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll try them on. And he hands me a pair of white women's pants. We're at the block in Orange County, Los Angeles, okay? And, and he hands me a pair of these white women's skinny jeans. And I go in the dressing room, and I'm like, I'm about to look so cool. And I put these skinny jeans on, and I looked in the mirror and immediately was like, this is the worst idea I've ever had in my life. I look like Peter Pan. Just got his, like, like Tinkerbell shrunk Peter Pan's spandex is what this looks like, okay? Immediately took them off. I walk out, he's like, what happened? I'm like, dog, that's you. That ain't me. Like, I'm going to run in my lane, okay? I'm going to run in my lane because I don't look good in your lane. I don't look good in your clothes. I don't look good at your job. I don't look good in your marriage. I don't look good raising your children. I look great in my lane. I look great doing my job. I look great loving my wife. I look great loving my children. I look great running in my lane like you look great running in your lane. It's a great time to clap. So good. We're a clapping church. As we close, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. And Paul equates it at the beginning. Paul says this, I had to learn to be content. So if Paul had to learn it, that means we have to learn it. And let me give you the secret to learning it. It's a mindset. It's the same mindset we have at Valley Rise. What is the mindset we have at Valley? Hey, we get to, we don't have to. When people go, hey, do we have to be at that meeting? No, you don't have to at all. We get to be there. I'm so grateful I get to be here. I start every one of our team meetings every time by going, God, we are so grateful that we get to be at this table together. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of this church. We're so grateful we get to serve together. Like, I, we get to, we don't have to. I don't have to go home to my wife. I get to go home to my wife. I don't have to go to work. I get to go to work. The result's the same. The end result is the same. Okay, But I don't have to do it. I get to do it. Because when I convince myself that I get to do it, everything becomes a privilege for me. Everything becomes exciting to me. Everything becomes an opportunity to me. But when I start living an entitled life of if I had this and why don't I have this and can I have this, then immediately I begin to become discontent with what God has given me. I become discontent with what God has given me. And in order for me to be fully me, I must be fully focused on who God created me to be. Limitations three. I love this. I love this. The steadfast love. I don't know if y'all remember this old hymn. This was an old hymn back in the day. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Y'all remember that? No, only me? Eh, whatever. <laughs> you guys should listen to some old hymns. Um, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
So they go, your portion in life is not the job you do. Your portion in life is not the family that you have. The portion in life is not the car you drive. The portion in life is not how you were raised. The por- your portion in life is how much time you spend with God. Your portion, in- the Lord is your portion. The Lord sustains you. The Lord refreshes you. The Lord keeps your marriage together. The Lord gives you the grace to raise your children. The Lord opens doors for you. The Lord is my portion, and when I seek first the kingdom of God, all these things get taken care of. And the whole focus of this series is that we would stop looking at all these things, and we would put the first things first. Because I promise you, if you can refocus and go, God, all I want is you, all I want is you. It's amazing how doors start opening that you've been praying to open your whole life. It's amazing when you set your mind on God. It's amazing. Every time, listen to me, try it. I promise. I'm not making it up. Me and Alex were dating, and we broke up for six months. And it was like, like we had dated for three years. So there was some like little breakups. But then, like, then it was like a big breakup. And you're like, oh, shoot, like this is it. Like, we, I don't think we're getting back together. I don't think we're getting back together. She was like, hanging out with some Abercrombie and Fitch model that, by the way, did not look half as good as me, I'm just saying, but whatever. And I'm like, I got to a point, I'll never forget it, and I thought about it this week driving by, uh, we were in Florida, and I was driving by the church that I kind of really came back to the Lord in in Florida. And I was turning out of the parking lot on Highway 98, for those of you familiar with Destiny, I'm turning out onto the parking, into the road, and God speaks to me, okay, kind of a crisis moment. Are we going to be together? Are we not going to be together? And I just had this moment of peace, and I said, God, if that's not who you have for me, I don't want her. I want whatever you want for me, God. That's it. I want whatever you want for me. I took a deep breath, and I felt the release of, okay, God, it's yours. Okay, six months. We've been broken up six months. Hadn't talked. Weren't, weren't, Weren't communicating. I get three miles down the road, and my phone rings, and it's her. And I'm like, God, right when I let go, you're going to do this. Right when I'm like, okay, I'm over it. Some, she felt something. I don't know what she felt. And I answered the hell out. And she's like, it's you. I just know it's you. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> I just got over you. <laughs> just now. Just three miles back there. God was waiting for me to go, God, I want you more than I want her. I want you more than I want a wife. God, I want you more than I want a career. God, I want you more than I want money. God, I want you more than I want friendships. God, I want you. And when I seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things will fall where they need to fall. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we're so grateful. God, let us never forget how grateful we are to just be your children. To just be a part, God, of what what you're building. To be a part of your body the body of Christ. God, we're so thankful. God, I pray that today, that whatever the lie of the enemy is that we want to buy into, if we had this or if we had that or if we could do this, I pray, God, that we would refocus our mindset, that we'd set our eyes where they need to be set, that we would seek first the kingdom of God. God, we're so grateful that when we run after you with all of our hearts, you take care of everything else. God, we want to be fully committed to being who you called us to be, not who anyone else called us to be. You created us. You apportioned us. You know what we have. God, it's all yours. At the end of the day, all we want is you, and anything else is extra, God. All we want is you, and anything else is extra. Today, God, we just say thank you. We say thank you. We're content with your peace. We're content with you, Jesus. You are our portion. You refresh our soul. You meet our every need. God, we love you. I pray that today as we go home, God, we would stop seeing things as things we have to do or things that we're stuck in or areas that we just can't, we we didn't think we'd end up here, and we begin to be thankful that we get to. God, that we get to be at the job that we're at tomorrow morning, that we get to have the relationships that we have around us, that we get to raise the children that we get to raise. God, I'm so thankful. I pray that today our hearts would be shifted, that gratitude would shift our hearts, God. We love you so much, and we're so thankful for each and everything that you've blessed us with. 
Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some of you here that you go, Christian, that sounds great, but I've never even, I've never had that relationship with God. I've never had, I don't even know how to be thankful because I've never encountered the love of God. I don't know what that looks like. But today, I want to. Today, I want to encounter a relationship with Jesus. Not religion, not church, a genuine relationship with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and Jesus. I just want to pray for you. No one looking around. If that's you and you say, Christian, today, I want to start that relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up for me? Amen. Amen. God, you see each and every hand. If you'll repeat this after me, you can say it out loud. You can pray it under your breath. As long as you mean it is what we ask. Dear Lord Jesus, today I realize my need for you. God, I realize that without you I'm lost. I'll never fully walk in my calling until I seek you first. God, today, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life. God, and I believe that you died on a cross, a death I should have died, so that I could live with you forever. I believe you paid my sin bill, Jesus, so that I didn't have to. And then I believe you rose from the dead to give us new life and freedom. God, today, I ask that you would just draw us close to you. We love you, Jesus. Be with us. Bless us. Keep us. And let us be fully fulfilled in you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those who just made the greatest decisions of their lives? Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.